Hi, I'm Greg Knight. Hey, and I'm Ryan Parker. And we wanted to take a minute to tell you about our Popping Collar side project, PCTV. Each month, Greg and I discuss a random show from one of the six major streaming services. That's right. We cover Netflix, Hulu, Max, Prime Video, Disney Plus, and Apple TV Plus, so that you don't have to scroll endlessly to find something to watch. Think of this show as your personal TV concierge. Can I interest you in more dragons and beheadings, sir? Or perhaps you'd like to explore the stressed out world of running your own restaurant. We break down everything from favorite scenes and characters to do theology and even the state of the television industry itself. So look for PCTV each month right here on the Popping Collars feed. Boom. The air is humid in Portland, Oregon. There's an inescapable closeness that feels almost oppressive. I close my eyes and try to imagine growing up in a place like this, living with the feeling that I'll never be able to leave. Hicks, you want me to get rid of these guys? This is a closed briefing. There's no press. Uh, no, they're good. Uh, we had the option between body cameras and podcasters. I went with the podcasters. My kids love them. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. I am one of your four co-hosts, Ricardo Avila. I am the rector of St. Luke's Los Gatos, which is an Episcopal church. <laughs> that makes me an Episcopal priest. And with me are it my does. three co-hosts, doesn't it? With me are my three co-hosts uh, in uh, clockwise order on my Zoom screen, Betsy Carmody. Tell us how you are. What's going on, Betsy? I am doing well, Ricardo. My name is Betsy Carmody. I serve as the head chaplain at the Episcopal High School here in beautiful Alexandria, Virginia, where we finally saw the sun today. It has been rainy, 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 very rainy. And and it's come out and everyone's spirits have brightened, right? We're a little bit into school here. We've got some weeks under our belt. People are thriving. Some people are feeling like they're getting ready to flop a little bit because we've got some assessments coming up. It's almost family weekend, which is a big deal here. And and all the families come to visit. So it's uh it's 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 we're just waiting for fall. Basically, I'm waiting for the trees to change and really just let the temperatures drop. And that's where I am, Ricardo. Wonderful. Thanks, Betsy. Also with me is our other co-host, Greg Knight. Greg, tell us. Hey, Ricardo. Hey, Betsy, is that like um, hurricane rain that you guys are getting? Is that? It was a little bit of tropical banding that was yeah. coming up here from a tropical type storm. It was kind of a spitty, uh, spitty, spitty misty and spitty. And I'm sure in Florida, you're familiar with that. Well, sort you of would think, except we don't get hurricanes where I am anymore. Like we haven't oh. had a hurricane in like five years or something. But keep wow. going farther north or left or right. I know. I know they keep hitting yeah. my sister-in-law in North Carolina. And there hasn't been a hurricane around here in five years. <laughs> Surely there'll be, there won't be another this year. Why? Surely there hasn't been a hurricane around here since I was a small girl. <laughs> this is my time. This is my time. My time. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Step Listen, back. you really, you really seeded the floor. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Seated the clouds above Virginia is more like it. Oh, oh, burn. Uh, okay, my name is Greg Knight. I work at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. What's going on with me, Ricardo? I just finished a book from that was recommended to me by the PC Book Club. We've been talking about this off air. Yeah. I finished one of Liz's books that she recommended on the pod way back in 2021. And it was very good, but there was a moment as I was reading the chapters that I saw a typo in the book. The word mm -hmm. into at one point had two eyes in that oh, word. Uh -huh. And it made me think to myself, if you wrote a book and you realized that it had a typo like that, would you obsess about that for the rest of your life? Because I think I would. I think I would you be know, that person. Well, you if get I that on a reprint. If I may interject as an avid reader, it happens a lot. And mm. recently a friend of mine published her second novel. Like it's a big deal. Like 
she's like a legit writer mm-hmm. and there is a typo in the novel and the same deal i thought like god mm-hmm. do you think people text her as soon as they find it and it would just kill you you know you've got all these eyes on your, on your manuscript yeah. oh it'd kill you mm-hmm. so anyway um that was the exciting thing that happened in my life <laughs> obsessing wow. over a typo I, wow okay. wow that's um wow that's rowdy okay get it get out more get out more okay yeah you know we're gonna have to rein this in a little bit guys because this is getting out of control uh speaking of reining it in and getting out of control liz easton tell us how you're doing hey ricardo i'm liz easton i'm the canon to the ordinary in the diocese of nebraska and um this has been an exciting week the week that we're recording this has been an exciting week to live in the middle of the country because taylor swift is now dating the tight end for the Kansas oh, City God. football team, Travis oh, Kelsey. And God. everyone has just been a little bit aflutter about it. You know, in Omaha, we don't have a um, NFL team. In Nebraska, generally, folks either, uh, you know, their alliances Cowboys? move towards Denver mm. for some people. Mm-hmm. If you're in the western part of the state or down towards Kansas City, we tend to be Kansas City people. So it's like a big, it's a big, exciting moment when um, this little love match was was televised. Okay. Don't worry, it won't last long. Hey, yeah, I was gonna I'm say, excited. I think it's got, for real. Be over no, 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 no. Come be over this is a marketing gimmick. Fly by got, night. Like a reality show or something with his brother that's coming out. Fly like some night. kind of prime, whatever. Okay. There is a documentary. Oh, oh, sorry. There's sorry. a documentary about his brother that's being released on Prime, but. I think it's legit and I think it's adorable and I think T Swift deserves it. <laughs> it's great. It's just been, really? I've been loving it. Okay. I've been loving every minute of it. Wow. Oh, so typos Lord. in books and mm-hmm. uh, mega stars relationships. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. Parasocial wow. romances. Nice. I- I'm afraid I can't top any of those things, which is why I offered to host. So I wouldn't have to <laughs> make up any story about my life. Um, I will say though, um, Taylor Swift strikes me as a serial monogamist. I don't know if I'm missing something in the news, but it's often a new superstar of some She's sort. a young woman. She dates. Yeah, but they're real. I guess maybe because it's all public. And so, yeah. I don't know. Maybe yeah. we should leave her alone. She's, she's a celebrity. Women can. Oh, maybe we should leave her alone when she's smiling and everything from a skybox. Maybe it's adorable. we should just leave her alone. <laughs> oh, it was adorable. They that's what those pictures a- said. Leave me alone. He made a big they drove deal. off in a convertible. Mm-hmm. It was so cute. Oh, like our privacy. I got to tell you, the secret hero of that game on Sunday, though, uh, Travis Kelsey's mom. She's so sweet. Who frequently oh does double duty. She like gets on a plane, flies to Philadelphia after watching like Kansas City game or vice versa and stuff like that. I love this whole family. I'm Wait, why family. did she have to go to Philadelphia? Because there are two brothers who play her, in the NFL. Yeah, her other son plays for the Eagles. Oh God! So that which means they faced off in the Super Bowl <laughs> last year. That's Where were you, Ricardo? We're supposed to love her for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're supposed to love century, her for right? that. Oh, look, look at how Liz has been brainwashed by Nebraska. <laughs> she is so indignant right now. And, uh, you I mean, listener, you cannot you. see. How indignant she is right now. If your two Good. sons were facing off against each other at the Super Bowl, so one of them you knew would be elated and one of them you knew would be heartbroken, and you have it's not it's Liz, it's not war. <laughs> Liz is football. <laughs> yeah, the Civil War 1863. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Dearest mother, I am facing off against my brother. In I do not battle. know if I shall live to see another day. And We've so eaten hot, hard tack for another day. <laughs> I think yeah. Shelby Foote told that story in the Civil War. Time. I think he did. I think he did. Wait, was there a Super Bowl <laughs> that they played against each other? Last year, yeah. Oh. Well, that's interesting. But everyone was paying more attention to Rihanna, let's be honest. Okay, <laughs> that's true. This is my uh, favorite intro on. ever. Was Rihanna pregnant 
And when she did, yes, this, she, she was. was yeah. yeah, she was. That's impressive. To, God, I don't. I don't think Usher's not going to be a partner. <laughs> no, no. Uh-huh. Okay, well, there's an intro. Good luck with the editing on that, Greg. Uh, <laughs> it's all staying in. Well, folks, as you may or may not have been able to tell from that intro, <laughs> I don't even know what this topic's about at this point. No, we are, you know, here's the thing. We love nostalgia as much as the next person. And um, it seems that maybe things aren't as fun as they used to be in our world these days. Um, not to get too serious on you, but lots of difficult Natural disasters and lots of war. I guess that's like, and maybe you should cut this part. Yeah, I don't know that this. You know, is can I just tell you? I see where you're going. <laughs> I'm here with you. I'm can I just here with tell you? you? I, I had to write the stewardship letter this year uh, for our church because our senior <laughs> oh. board, did, you know, was away, and I literally wrote a stewardship letter that was talked about like natural disasters and deaths and floods and how we have to be a light in the world. And I said, so give <laughs> printed out 120 copies. And then I thought about it overnight and I showed it to William and he was like, no, what are you doing? Oh my God. Five hours later. Anyway, um, you know, it's it's a rough time these days, and one could say it's always a rough time, but let's just say this is one of the rougher times. And sometimes you want to, you know, what is pop culture but a way to kind of forget about the world around you for a time? So we thought we'd take that to the next level and not only lose ourselves in some pop culture, but lose ourselves in a whole other time to travel back in time to a, a place or a situation or a set of pop culture nuggets that you know make us feel like we have hope for the future there great (laughs) perfect so greg's already impatiently looking at the bag let's just go ahead and start so which year which era would you go back to greg's pulling out a name uh, a letter from the bag a token and it is what (gasps) r for ricardo (laughs) Is that was that okay for an intro? Do we need to do that over? No, it's great. We, it was great. We jumped the shark last week, last month. Yeah, don't worry yeah. about Liz's. Liz's family's already declared us over. That's over. what my dad said. We jumped the shark. I think that was a good episode. Frankly, it was a great. episode. he didn't say it was bad. He thought yeah. it was good. I don't think Liz's but, dad. Well, jumping the shark is shark <laughs> is bad. Does your dad know what that means? No, I think he found it kind of thrilling. That's because it was just un- unhinged. It was a little unhinged. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right then. All right. So, um, quite honestly, I couldn't think of an era. I mean, last year I chose 1971 or 72 because of all those amazing TV shows that came out back then. Uh, apparently, in 2020, I chose the 1840s and 50s because of uh, Charles Dickens and other Victorian novelists. Um, so, I was thinking this year about movies. And um, here in the Bay Area, there's a theater called the Stanford Theater in Palo Alto, and they show old movies uh, up until the year, I think, there's a cutoff year, and it might be 1962. I don't know quite what happened then, but uh, Mr. Hewlett or Mr. Packard, one of the two that owns the theater, I forget which one, uh, decided that no movie shall be shown post-1962, I believe. And so... They had a series last summer on the films of 1939, and there were some classics in that year to the point that I couldn't believe it was all in one year. So thinking about this topic, I thought, you know, other than the depression and not being able to be out as a gay man or to kind of live the life I want probably as a Latino, uh, (laughs) uh, 1939 would be the year I'd pick. Only, only, really, only because of the movies, and maybe because it was before World War II, and so the, I think that by then the depression, the Great Depression, was kind of we were doing a little better in this country. Um, but the movies, and I, I went, I went online to verify. I was like, "What was the best year for movies?" And sure enough, the first thing that came up was 1939. So, Gone with the Wind came out in '39. The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, if you've seen that. Uh, Goodbye, Mr. Chips. 
suddenly this don't seem as good as I thought. <laughs> Stagecoach by John Ford, which is a classic Western. Nanachka. Uh, oh, God. Greta Garbo, I hope. <laughs> Wuthering Heights. Um, oh, gosh, there were so many movies. You know, and my one of my favorite top three movies I thought came out in 1939. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life, but they couldn't have because part of it was about World War II. So I guess I can't really say mm-hmm. that. Um, but, you know, I have no reason for picking 1939 other than these great movies. And I was trying to think of another year, but... Uh, you know, I think nostalgia, the way nostalgia works is it's like that movie Midnight in Paris. You know, the, the, the people now are longing for the 1920s in Paris and they're longing for the 1880s. And then they go back there and they're longing for the 1810s, you know. So there's always something to long mm. for that's earlier than when you lived or didn't live uh, that seems better. And that was my tank of a uh, of an entry, no. 1939. I, I really want to do that over. <laughs> no, no I, think it was that, good. I think that works, Ricardo. And the thing that you made me think of is when you were listing off these things, like what an achievement something like The Wizard of Oz is in 1939. you dare to dream really do come true someday i wish i mean how do you even film that you know i'm just even thinking of the tornado sequence and stuff it's really well shot and just well crafted and like the the creativity is just off the charts with stuff like that and it's all in camera you know there's no sort of like post I feel like it's like a lot of these uh, examples that you gave are just really clever and speak to sort of the create the creative spirit of human beings to capture all of this stuff. I wonder if um, similar to COVID, maybe like if there was some creative impulse or like desire for storytelling or desire for escape that Mm -hmm. came from the depression. Um, You know, because movies seem like such a, um, when I think of the depression, I think of like, oh, you couldn't have any extras, like any, um, it was really just survival and you couldn't, going to the movies would have been a luxury. But I think that back then, movies were really considered like mass entertainment. Like, it was with inflation, it would not be as expensive back then to go to a movie as it is today, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was a thing that people did. And so maybe there was just that, you know, does need to be entertained and a desire to entertain and to make meaning. There were a lot of artists by that point fleeing fascism and coming to North America. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. by then the writing was on the wall with Kristallnacht and all of that. And mm-hmm. so um, I think people were like, let me out of here. Um, gosh, there was just a there was a book uh, called The Flight Portfolio. Yes. Oh, that put that on your list, Greg. Mm. Oh, Julie Oranger. Mm-hmm. Um, and they made a, a miniseries out of it on um, Netflix, I think. I can't remember the name of the show, but we watched it. And it's about a guy who goes to a part of France that's in Vichy, France. can't remember the name. Maybe it's Lyon. I don't know. But he goes there and gets all these famous people out. Artists. Artists like Hannah Arendt, Max Ernst, folks like that. And so, you know, that sort of stuff was happening. They were channeling them to America and they were making their mark here. You know, so that's one of the things that 39 might have been uh, a reason for it being such a breeding ground for Wuthering Heights and all these other movies. I recommend that book, by the way. It's a doorstopper. It's really long. I would say I think about that book almost every week. Like something will, some image or some memory from that book will sort of spontaneously come to mind. It's a really good story. And I learned a lot. Like I didn't realize that, um, I'm kind of hijacking your little segment, Ricardo, but, but the explanation you just gave made so much sense that of course, when it came to the rise of fascism in Europe, it was not a solution to get everyone out. So people and groups of people had to make these considered decisions about what to do. And there were 
people who decided we need to save art. We need, it's as if Mm -hmm. like, you can imagine like if we had to populate another planet or something, like you would have to make decisions about what is the best of human creativity and the human spirit that we need to make sure lives on. So there were these organized efforts to um, rescue artists from Europe. It's a really good story. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The Netflix series is called Transatlantic. Oh, I had Um, no idea. Yeah. Check it out. Uh, Julie Hmm. Orange also wrote a book that I loved called The Invisible Bridge. Um, Different topic. It's about her actual kind of grandfather, I think, who lived in Hungary uh, when it became communist and they escaped and to Paris and et cetera. It's, it's, again, there was a little bit of like, this is going on a little long, um, but with the audiobook, you can speed it up, but it's a terrific read as well. I recommend that as well. So 1939, if we're still talking about that. I know. <laughs> we got like a mini PCBC, like yeah, right in the middle of in there. popping collars, man. I just drew another name. It's called Liz. <gasps> oh my gosh. The PCBC lives on. Wow. Um, Okay, great. This is always sort of a fun. I love time. I love thinking about time traveling. And I also, I love books about time traveling. I like stories about time traveling. But I'm also aware that um, as a genre, it's a little difficult because most times in the past, for most people, we're not actually better. So mine, I'm going to name, like there is problematic aspects to it. And I'm saying I would like to visit, but probably not live there. Okay. But maybe real specific, real specific. Well, I'm just, I'm just, there's some caveats and um, I'm definitely approaching that age. I'm in that age. I turned 40 this year where um, I am prone to nostalgia. Like, and there is a part, a wistful part of me that, you know, is kind of like, Oh, how it used to be. And I also worry about the kids these days. So that's what, (laughs) That's what the forties, that's what this decade is like for me. And all of these things have kind of come together in this one. But what I'm thinking about is, um, is the riot girl era. (laughs) I would like to go back in time and witness the establishment, the development of the riot girl, um, movement. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, Riot Girl was sort of a, um, it was a movement in, in music, but also kind of socio-culturally, it was, um, a political, uh, movement and kind of organization that was eventually tied to third wave feminism. It sort of pushed third wave feminism into the present, I suppose. And, um, it would be short-lived, maybe like 1991 to 1996. So this is the um, era that would be defined by zines, a pretty um, DIY, do-it-yourself aesthetic around everything from fashion to publishing to um, music, the you know production of music, lots of teeny tiny record labels sprouting up to support these bands. Riot Girl was loosely organized, and there were a lot of like uh, Riot Girl conventions, which are not the way that you would think of conventions. It would be like a festival, sort of, for a bunch of bands to get together. And from what I've learned, sometimes you would they would have like a Riot Girl convention and bands of young women would get up on stage and play for the first time ever. So there's this real freedom of expression and like, we're going to stand up and make a lot of noise and be heard and um, be part of a music scene that was previously very masculine, this indie kind of punk, what ended up becoming grunge music scene. I think that one of the things that interests me about this, as I thought about it today, was um, it was very pre-internet, which I know that the internet has brought like wonderful things to humanity. So I'm not about to be like a Luddite and say, um, oh, the internet is terrible. It is certainly better to be a young marginalized person in a small town today because of access to the internet 
than it was back then mailing away for zines and trying to get them to your door. Like, I'm not saying that that is not a deal, but there's something about the development of like thought and identity and community in a pre-internet time that is really interesting to me as I watch this younger generation um, really grab onto short, quick, kind of quippy political ideologies that don't always feel very um, grounded to me that I sort of, there's something nostalgic about the nineties, I guess that um, that formation happened in a, um, what feels like a more organic way. Um, I also want to name that the music was great. The most popular riot girl bands that you may have heard of are probably bikini kill which they're still kind of around. Like, I think they went on tour last summer. Um, Bratmobile, Slater, Kenny. When we were in um, a general convention last summer, I think Bikini Kill was playing in Baltimore while we were there. Or it might have been Slater, Mm -hmm. Kenny. And I really wanted to go, but we had this whole... um, We weren't allowed to, like, congregate, even though everybody did. But I was afraid if I went to a concert, I'd get in trouble. Anyway, um, I saw Slater Kenny in college. They were awesome. But, like, Heavens to Betsy, um, L7, Babes in Toyland. These were, yeah, Heavens to Betsy. Um, These were all great um, 90s Riot Girl bands. As I said earlier, I would not be cool enough to have actually participated in this movement, I'm sure. Although my college life was a lot of like basement punk shows and like weird poetry readings combined with punk shows like this Mm -hmm. in unexpected gross places. And so like that was a really fun part of college for me. But I think it was even cooler in the early 90s. And still the Riot Girl movement is very appropriately criticized for being um, super white not um, intersectional at all in their feminism. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking up really quickly. Uh, Yes. Okay. There's a great podcast that came out recently um, from Oregon public broadcasting called starting a riot. And it's just kind of a, a retrospective on the riot girl movement and the journalist who, who did the program is a musician themselves is a young Latina, Latinx, um, non-binary person. So they do a great job of like paying homage to this movement while also criticizing it in a way that to me felt really appropriate and like kind of helped me wrap my head around um, that movement. Mm -hmm. And finally, there's a great book, I forget the name of the author, called Girls to the Front, which is a really good history. Because part of what these shows, these big shows would do is, you know, there used to always be mosh pits in the front of um, a show which are physically pretty dangerous and f- for women and f- just for small people can be especially dangerous. So they will call from the stage girls to the front and there was like a acceptance in a show that women would move to the front of the audience and it became sort of a adage of that movement. Mm-hmm. So 1991 to 1996, Olympia, Washington, Evergreen State College, Little Liz would go back there. Wow. Did you watch the Amy Poehler movie? Moxie. Moxie. Yeah, that's yeah. very sweet. Kind of a kind of it's definitely a, a movie that's like made for like people who are my age to watch with my daughter who is yes. her age, which we did watch together. And it was it was fun to kind of watch that, you know, you find your mom's old zines and your mom's old jacket with all the buttons in it and that sort of thing. You know, I was yeah. I was in high school at the time you're describing and, you know, the Riot Girl stuff wasn't really finding its way to Alabama, but it was by the time I got to Chicago in 93. Being yeah, it was really the like, Northwest. Oh, yeah. Northeast. You know, yeah. I mean, we were into I saw the Pixies when I was young. Like, you know, it was kind of like so Kim Deal felt like she was at the edge of that before. Mm-hmm going off and doing other things or whether you start to look at bands like the breeders or other things like that, who are female led in that kind of way. But you felt like there was an energy or something that you were at the head of, you know, and then you can go to a Beastie Boys concert and they have their, you know, you get the program for the show and it shows how you're not supposed to touch people who crowd surf and girls who crowd, like this is not how you treat women. 
and they were trying to kind of pay back some of the the language that they had used around how to treat women and and trying to pay that forward in some way um well some kathleen hannah of, yes. kathleen hannah is the lead singer of bikini kill and she's married yeah. to um adam yuck isn't she adam yuck yes. no no Chuck, he was married right. to Iona Sky at one point. I don't know. I forget. Anyway, but they've like, been but like, but like together. they really, yeah. And I'll, I'll actually talk about it a little bit with mine. But um, okay, but yeah. Oh, yeah. so Greg, splice in if you can splice in music. Um, put in um, Bikini Kills, um, Rebel Girl. Okay. Oh, I thought did think there was one thing I did want to recommend based off of what you were talking about. Uh, when I was on a plane, not this summer, but the last summer, I watched a documentary that came out in 2020, June 27th, 2020. God bless mm. anything that came out. But it's called The Head of the Curve. And it's about Curve Magazine, which was a best-selling lesbian magazine, oh. which I had never heard of. Mm. But it's coming out in that time period of female empowerment and like make your own magazine list your own thing. It's a fascinating look at the magazine industry and kind of the way it used to work. And, and, uh, but also in terms of women and politics and women supporting women and like locally grown media and different things like that. Cool. It's a great documentary. So ahead of the curve, it's Ooh, really good. good. Yeah. The other thing that I would say is that it seems like the music industry needs to reset itself with a punk aesthetic every now and then just to kind of, break mm -hmm. up the monotony of what's going on and just speaking to betsy's uh taylor swift we're just gonna keep bringing this up yeah so we week. thought we just barely got scree, that by scree. The skin of our oh, scree. yeah okay let's just keep bringing it up Her maybe taylor you swift all are gonna pile slandered. on me maybe that's what's gonna happen no we're swifties secretly speaking to the oh, taylor no. swift slander from last last month oh my god you know, the it feels like music has been stagnant for a while, and it's sort of rife for like uh, something to kind of break it up a little bit. But it also, you know, the the times where sort of punk hit mainstream is kind of what I'm thinking of. And I, I guess there's always punk, like there's always cruddy basements for Liz's of the world to hang out in, you know, in college and stuff. Like, it's just, when does it make it to sort of social consciousness in the way that it did in the 70s, 90s, stuff mm -hmm. like that? And I kind of am, I secretly hope that there is something that comes along that kind of makes everyone think about music a little bit more than some of the artists that we have now. You know, I was, as you were talking, I was, I looked it up and I was trying to see if I knew a band and could be impressive, you know, knowing something about it and no, none really that I know well, but some of the names of some of the bands that I didn't hear of are hilarious. Yeah. Um, can I just say some? Please. Sure. Yeah. There's some good ones. Jack off Jill. Addicted. Like a dick did. Uh, sorry. Panty Christ. Christ. Um, oh, I can't say that one. Um, that's really it. Luna chicks. So, um, you know, it, it's it definitely it's it's a it's a it was a thing, huh? Wasn't it? It was a movement. It just passed me by. So thank you for bringing that up. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Good pick list. Thanks. Nice. OK, uh, moving on. I have a B for Betsy. Blink, 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 blink. All right. So I don't know why. But this time period just totally popped into my head. And I've been trying to kind of figure out why, like what intersection of culture is leading me to think of this time. And I think I've, I've pulled a few things together. So I am thinking about New York City, late 70s, early 80s. I'm thinking 
about a little more about CBGBs as a center than say a Studio 54 situation, right? So I think in the last, like last spring, I had some, I had some pretty cool kids, cool seniors in my senior elective. And we would play music and work in class some. And I found this new wave playlist that I really enjoyed that brought back a lot of songs I really liked. And I've been listening to a little bit more than new wave station on when I'm, whenever I'm in the car, which is not very often when you live where you work uh, on Sirius XM, you know, just really that B-52s, that talking heads that, you know, like that's, let's get into this kind of art experiment. Let's deal with like, your costumes are crazy, but they were totally cheap and you put them together and you made it work. Like, I think there's an intersection of that going on. I think there's an intersection of Ruby and I and our love of RuPaul's Drag Race. And this is a time that RuPaul is young and living in New York and kind of, you know, we're putting it together. It's a lot of shoestring budge. It's a lot of not having a lot of money, living in kind of that Alphabet City neighborhood. It's like pre the musical rent, but that's kind of you're you're living in the pregame of that. The New York is gritty and all of those pieces. And I realize I'm sitting here as like a white woman, 48 years old, talking about living in this time. I, I mean, it's 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 a lot of stuff. It's dangerous for a lot of different people of, you know, no matter your your skin color and sexual persuasion. I'm thinking about pose. I'm thinking about thinking about ball cult, ballroom culture in New York at the time. And that sort of I mean, this Venn diagram is is incredible, right? I'm thinking about the Beastie Boys documentary. This is my inter- intersection there. The Beastie Boys story where the two surviving Beastie Boys, uh, Mike D and, and Ad-Rock, Adam Yock, go on stage and they kind of tell the story and then they put it together in a documentary of the band. And when they are young, they are young in the early 80s and they are running around. They're in all these different clubs and they're hanging on different record stores all in New York and meeting different like super powerful like you know the drum i think one of the women that hung out with him who was like early in the band i think she went on to be in um luscious jackson like other bands that are kind of you know that's where they like it's like this and they're sneaking into parties and they're weirdly like opening for madonna and, and they're all and like there's a lot of stuff going on and then there's the whole i mean aside from that the whole warhol art scene all of that going on so there's something about that gumbo that I find interesting and appealing because I think there also is, there's a lot of diversity happening here, whether it's racial or sexual and some other ways that are kind of going on at the time, but the music is interesting. And there's this crossover of, it's not just having like awesome lyrics, man. And like, let's hang out and whatever, but it's also having Stage presence. You're singing a song about rock lobsters, and you're wearing crazy wigs, and you do like there's there's a performance art to it as well that I think is is engaging and and it pulls me in. And they they're just releasing. I think it's a big anniversary for the Talking Heads. Stop making sense. Yeah, it just came out. I think it's this year, right? I really want to watch that that again and to kind of be in that soup. Well, and hip hop, right? that rich root, yes. And then hip hop is what it like. There's so much happening. There's so much. You know, you're in, you know, a house party in the Bronx, you know, somebody's like birthday party and, you know, and DJ Herc is getting on whatever for the first time. And you're like, what is happening? So that, that soup of stuff, all while we're dealing with extreme poverty mm-hmm. and crime. And I mean, it's, it's a lot going on. That sort of cultural scene is really intriguing to me about a New York that doesn't really exist anymore. Right, New York is like Disneyland now compared to what that New York was. 
one of the bands that comes up for me in that time is Blondie. Um, oh yeah, oh, they were my totally nineteen seventy eight, nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty. But it was weird because they did play in those clubs, but they were also yes. big. Um, I don't know yeah. how that happened. The other thing is, I feel like some people who were in the seventies in New York and maybe an even kind of more famous for its grungy times, grunginess were like Patti Smith and Lou mm-hmm. Reed. They were still around, and yeah. so there was like a yeah. overlap almost with with some of that kind of earlier punk stuff, and then the Talking Heads kind of stuff. And Elvis Costello mm-hmm. was kind of in New York, but um, it was that whole new wavy post punk stuff. And I'm I'm saying these words not mm-hmm. knowing exactly what they mean, but you get a feel for them. Uh, and well, but it, everybody would have wanted to have come and played there, right? Like you would have known about that club, and you're like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sure even like, you know, everyone knows my favorite heart band, U2, is sitting over now and be like, we just gotta go play CBGBs, you know, like we just gotta go. Yeah, you know. Well, and when you yeah. when you say like when you talk about Lou Reed, like that mm-hmm. makes me think of Laurie Anderson and the art scene of new york and like you can find yourself into these places without necessarily being a music artist or you know a film Mm -hmm. artist or something like that you can just find yourself in an art scene and sort of a part of all of this like you were saying with andy warhol and stuff Mm -hmm. yeah it's a very exciting and it should just thinking of talking heads and stop making sense and the way Jonathan Demi shot that movie and how gorgeous Mm -hmm. it is. Right. There's also, you know, the MTV element is part of this too. And those Mm -hmm. early videos, like I'm thinking of burning down the house with, um, you know, David Burns face on the road, you know, or on the side of the house and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It just feels really cheap, but it also feels really grand. And those images are like burned into your mind. Like I can see that video just as well now i can see you know uh peter gabriel videos in my mind just as well now as when they were on then and there's something about the cheapness of it but also the artistry of it that stands out in your mind i mean i have to believe that one of the reasons that communities and cities get to these places where they create such great art is because people can live there for super cheap And, you know, in sacrificial ways for the purpose of art, you know, it's not like it's an easy life to live in a place inexpensively, but, you know, you think of like the Chelsea Hotel or like, you know, just wherever people were making it by and being able to be artists and, you know, poor struggling artists. And New York Mm -hmm. certainly is not that place anymore, but I think people still think it is. So there's still this idea of like, I've got to get to New York to make it creatively, but actually you can't afford to live there. And more and more, you can't afford to live anywhere. Well, and because it also makes me think about, you know, if we're going to bring it back to church, right? Please. Like this is when like, like uh, the nightclub limelight like opens in New York and it's a former Episcopal church. Yeah. Right. And that gets, so you're dealing with all these converted spaces, which are grand. I was just listening to a podcast that mentioned limelight. That's so really like, like like these old, these old structures of whether it's uh, um, the Gilded Age. So, Uh, So you're taking all of these, like this old New York architecture, and then you're throwing into it all of these, Punk kids, yeah, art kids. kids, the club kids, whatever your kids are dealing with, drag kids, trans kids, kids of color, and it's it's such the 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 clashing and the irony, and I think that's so much a part of the story of the age, is the grandness of some of these places that people were neglecting, mm. or have were on the verge of being neglected, who people are like this is a great place to throw a party, whether you're like you know. Uh, who is the Bill Hader character from SNL? Who's like Stephane. this club has Stefan, yeah. right? Unless you're, this club has everything, right? You know, former stained glass windows and this, that, and the other. But it's like this: the city is the city is coming apart, but coming together. It's all there. It's all this kind of contraction and right. an expansion and kind of apocalyptic. Yeah. I just I just wonder, like, if you know this new post capitalist economy that we're living in right now where Mm -hmm. you have to be rich to be middle class 
essentially, mm-hmm. right? Like it, everything has just exploded in terms of how much things cost. Like what will be the long-term cultural and intellectual applica- mm-hmm. like implications of yeah. not being able to be intentionally poor for the sake of creativity or for the sake of thought or for the sake of education. Like it's just not possible anymore. Right. And I'm not cool. Yes. So I don't know what the kids are really doing. Yeah. All right, Greg, Greg, your hands are up. Go. Oh, I'm just it, it, the key part of that is the collective part. And you've given voice to this, Liz, which is, you know, these people can find each other online, but there is something about being able to live together, to work together, to breathe together, to eat together, to be in community with each other in a way that the Velvet Underground and Andy Warhol and that crew are right. Like that, that collective art mentality, it makes you a better artist. It feeds you, it gets, you know, and I don't know, I'm not active in these circles, but I just don't, I can't imagine that the online collective allows you to do that as freely um or as intensely as when you're doing it in person and that's the that's the shame of the real estate market as it is is that everyone is dispersed and you can still do this through this kind of format but it's lacking some sort of human spirit and it does make you wonder why the current economy hasn't driven us back more i mean they're different into that communal mindset well, because we're still, we have bought, and I mean, we like culturally have we bought bigly. this lie that we have to have more, make more, be more mm-hmm. isolated. Be, we have to live in our own house. Like we, we haven't made it. Mm-hmm. And so, and the, you know, specter of consumer debt, which is like this hit, this dark little hidden secret that I don't think people were living off of credit cards in 1979 in New York City. Yeah. You know, but but now we are. And it's just amazing mm-hmm. how we've allowed capitalist entities to become like pseudo governments. And we don't really question them. I mean, we do. I shouldn't that this is all like highfalutin. But no, um it's just it's amazing to me that the it's amazing to me that there hasn't been a collective pushback like you're talking about. And there probably are pockets of the country. I mean, I live in an affordable city and I'm sure that there's a thriving art scene here. I know there is. I'm not cool enough to be a a part of it, but I don't, but it's not like, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, I'm, I worry that that time has passed or it's just changed to a place that is not recognizable to me anymore. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Right. That's true. I don't think I ever got to experience New York when it was grungy. I think the first time I ever went there was in 19, 89 or something or 88 and the places i went to were kind of like um you know christopher street it was for gay pride and etc um but i do remember having an all night i I didn't have a place to stay so i walked the streets of manhattan (laughs) all night wow (laughs) and there were people out all night long and it was fascinating uh I, i didn't go into you know thoughts places i thought might be scary but um it was even that you know there's a romance still i mean Frank Sinatra sings, you know, if I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere in like the 1950s or something. Mm -hmm. And we're still, we're still dreaming about New York to a certain extent now. Um, But I wanted to say there's a, I'm already, I'm already looking at my popping playlist 2024. (laughs) Wow. I should put that song on there. Wow. And this band that came up is um, that as a possibility is LCD sound system. Mm-hmm. And yep. this guy, I forget his first name, it's Murphy, something Murphy. And um, he has a song, but this is in 2007, so it's way after the late 70s. Uh, the name of the song is New York, I Love You, But You're Bringing Me Down. And, and I just mm-hmm. can just read a little lyric. You can cut this if you want. Yeah. But New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. New York, you're safer and you're wasting my time. <laughs> um, and then later on, he says... Um, New Yorker, perfect. Don't please don't change a thing. Your mild billionaire. I think it's uh, Bloomberg. Your mild billionaire mayor's now convinced he's a king. So the boring collect. I mean, all disrespect in the neighborhood bars I'd once dreamt I would drink. Mm-hmm. So like you know, mm-hmm. it's like it's been taken over by this kind of uh, 
safification or this, I don't know what you would call it. And he always dreamed of going to New York and being in a grungy late seventies situation, Mm -hmm. but now it's all these kind of, you know, bros and stuff in those same bars drinking in the, you know, East village or the lower East side. And so it's, it's corrupted in a weird way. It's corrupted into perfection, you know, whereas the, the, the corrupted, 1970s New York was the authentic one. Greg. Thank you, Greg. Okay. What you got? I'm going to keep mine short because we're running. I'm fading, you guys. Oh. Um, so, uh, Come on, Greg. <laughs> so uh, I was thinking, when was the last time now that they have apparently come to a deal on the writer's strike? I was thinking, when was the last time there was a writer's strike? It was 2007. And then I was thinking, wait, 2007, that's about the last time that I feel like I had a handle on popular culture. Before you went to seminary? I mean, before. Greg, Greg, that was the year we went to seminary. You're saying that we did not have. You stopped being cool. No, that's when we all must share that experience, right? To an extent. Come on. That was the I last moment that I feel like I had a Resident handle. Resident so, Evil. No? So, 07, no so when you said LCD sound system, what I was thinking of was the Strokes. The Strokes would have been like, you know, uh, big around this time. I had my Fergie Ferg album going at the time. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, the bus song. Okay. You know, I was again. up on all of the latest TV shows, still going to movies, thinking that like, you know, it was important what I thought about them. And then, of course, you know, when we were talking about Super Bowl halftime shows earlier, that was the Prince halftime mm. show was that That's year. a great one. I never meant to cause you any sorrow. I never meant to cause you any pain. I didn't want to one time see you laughing, baby. Only wanna see you, see you laughing, yeah. In the purple rain, purple rain, purple rain, purple rain, purple rain. That's alright. Come on, y'all. Purple rain, purple rain. Oh yes. Don't it feel good? Can I play this guitar? Like, I feel like that was the year that maybe all of my pop culture training going forward, it all culminated in that year. And I feel like I've been a step behind every year since and now i'm pretty lost when it comes to the pop culture landscape i'm not up on the latest stuff uh for the most part and what i've found is that there's too much there's too much stuff now to either watch or listen to or uh, try to keep up with and i feel like you know we've kind of all been around the same thing of like thinking through what are some key moments in history, not just pop culture history, but just history history where um, people just sort of shook themselves out of a daze and did something crazy, you know, whether it was like Riot Girl Punk or uh, art from New York or 1930s giant movies, <laughs> you know, and there's just there's there are these moments where it's like uh, humanity wakes up to its potential. I long for something like that to happen again. And I hate I hate thinking that maybe I just don't see it. Maybe it is mm-hmm. happening around me, but I just don't see it. You know, when Betsy was talking about the 70s and 80s, I wonder and you, Ricardo, asked a really good question. Did they realize that they what they were living through at the time i would guess not i would guess that you don't realize it until you look back on it but you have to have perspective to look back on it and see where all the intersections were and i would like to think that if we looked back on this writer's strike year of 2023 that you would see like intersections of like oh 2023 that's when 
that band started. That's when that artist started. That's when that TikTok person like met up with that YouTube person, you know, like something may be going on right now. And I just like, it, it makes me hopeful for the future that like something could be resurrected from what I feel like is a bit of a loss. So anyway, that's, that's where I am. 2007 Prince halftime show Fergie Ferg Fergalicious definition. Makes me so crazy. Greg, this is just a giant effing bummer. I don't know why you're what you're like. You're like, we went to seminary and pop culture fell off a cliff. Is this what you're saying? No, to me? it no, it you're saying to me, I me. had a baby in 2007 and pop culture took a dip, and I couldn't keep up with my I'm particular very personally. I couldn't keep up with my entertainment weekly subscription because I had a baby and I was in seminary. Am I feeling judged? I'm feeling judged by your comments, Greg. No. No, that's not what you're saying. No, I wonder if no, I I wonder if 2023 Greg would even start a series like Lost. Probably not. Oh damn. Oh no. Too many episodes. (laughs) So are you saying there's a hopeful (laughs) there's a youthful optimism? But no, this is a time travel episode, Greg. And we're talking about going back to times. Would I go back to first year of seminary? Probably not. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, Greg. <laughs> you could not pay me to go back to seminary. Yeah, that's why God. I'm very confused by this pick. The landscape moved under us too. Like, you yeah. know, we didn't we didn't create internet culture. We didn't no. we didn't uh create streaming networks that need content and therefore upload thousands of television shows at a time like we didn't do any of this stuff the culture did that i'm just saying that all popular culture for the most part is a young person's medium and there you hit a point at some point where you're just like i can't keep up i can't I keep up with the go. new music i refuse I can't. to go i refuse to go and don't uh, take me greg but but I I hope against hope, and I, I really do believe that there's going to be somebody in my situation now that looks back at this year and says, man, 2023 was when pop culture peaked for me, you know? And I think that's lovely. I think that's a great thought. You also have to remember, I am like awash in young people business. Mm-hmm. Like it is like <laughs> in, in pop culture business. And when is it too freaking weird that I use the, you know, the most recent slang in a lecture in class? Mm-hmm. You know, not offensive, but just, you know, whatever. I've been doing Abraham's family and, you know, yeah, I'm dropping different things You talk about here Riz. and there. I, I'm not talking about Riz. <laughs> I'm not talking about Riz. But there are do different things about that Rome? I that do you think about Rome a lot. I do think about the Rome I, I do actually think about Rome a lot, actually, because I <laughs> because do. I do, because this is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is Poor it Ricardo. is a little bit, you know. <laughs> but you know, but like, is this what these people are getting up on to? Okay, you know, maybe yeah, like it's I, I'm I'm immersed in a weird young person's game here, which is a little bit, even though I don't feel like I'm aging out of it, it, it is weird. I'm in a weird place. I used to, I never used to think of myself as cool before, maybe a little bit, but like in the priest arena, I'm so cool. Even now, I'm still cool. And I don't know that much about pop culture now, uh, but I'm cool just kind of by nature. But the other thing I would say is I, I would, I would hesitate to uh, conflate young with cool. Um, Young does not mean cool. And, you know, I, just because something's new and the kids are talking about it and liking it, it might be cool for them, but then who who gets to measure what's cool, right? I mean, is it just always the young people and whatever they like is what's cool? So now Taylor Swift is cool, you know? Um, and then the thing about looking back on 2023, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I just, I don't think people deal in nostalgia much anymore. I think the, the internet kind of, I don't know. I'm saying that off the top of my head, but I don't think nostalgia is going to mean that much to people anymore. People don't look back so much. You know, I think about spending hours in a record store flipping through albums and then flipping through CDs. Um, And there's just not a lot of flipping that happens. So I don't know where they would place their nostalgia for 2023. Um, On the other hand, 
maybe nostalgia itself mutates mm-hmm. and people later will experience nostalgia as whatever it is that, you know, going through their Spotify playlists and making playlists for friends. And that's probably already old, but anyway, I don't know if any of that made sense, but, um, no, I think that's right. I, I would also say, I don't necessarily think that young equals cool, but I do think that young equals more attention to things. Oh, they get more attention? Yeah. No, that they have, have more, more attention. They have more attention to spare for things. Oh. Okay. Um, and that's that's the key piece, you know. Um, I think the older you get, the less attention you have for talking about Roman. No, I think I think it's cyclical, Greg. You need to get your kids into friggin' high school. And then you're gonna have a lot more attention for things. I think um, it's cyclical. I think it's know, cyclical. Um, but I don't know. I think um, you know, as long as there's money to be made on nostalgia, I think that industry will constantly churn like all kinds of stuff. I mean they're rebooting Harry Potter for God's sake. Like that's a weird oh, that's right. a weird thing to well, do. Like, but like I like I am still like plugged in on a number of podcasts on a number of shows. I mean, you all have even said how do you all watch the number of things that you watch, right? Like there is an element for me on wanting to, and some of it is why I keep doing this project that we do, is that I want to be in the conversation because I do think that popular culture is an important medium through which we talk about who we are. I agree. And we ask the big questions of who we are and why we're here. And we do, we all do that in a faith zone. Mm -hmm. You know, I do that in my chapel in a quasi faith zone with my students. Some of them are asking those questions faith-based, some of them aren't. But I think popular culture asks those questions and I'm ready to respond with that. You know, Mm -hmm. so if I watch a recent episode of Reservation Dogs, I'm responding to that. Uh, uh, in in a spiritual way, and and I keep I keep close and and covet the things that I care about right. in this in this area. And that's the thing; it's the selectiveness of it, right? Like Agreed. the O seven Greg would have been all encompassing: the music, the movies, the TV. Like it would have all that's been true. in I'm the cura- wheelhouse. I'm curating, I'm, and now it's very now. curated. Yeah, curate. that's the we that's do. the part, right? Like that's the big deal. We do. Well, there is we just do. so much more of it. Like I've been rewatching mm-hmm. The Sopranos, and then at the same time listening to a podcast about The Sopranos. I was like, uh, and um, it's just interesting to think like that was kind of the first prestige cable mm-hmm. TV show. And um, now with an, how, anti- like, with an anti-hero. Yes. And now like you can't keep up on the mm-hmm. high budget, smart, um, edgy, like you just can't keep up with that. So part, so mm-hmm. a thing that I'm missing from that time is like the water cooler, like in my office and in church and even in mm-hmm. my communities among my friends, we're really not watching the same things. Right. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't mm-hmm. come to work the next day and say, Oh my God, did you watch, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And there's just so much more content. Yeah. Well, that's another episode of popping colors. Um, I feel like we time traveled. <laughs> like that episode took years to make. No. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Edit. Baby. Edit. That's true. <laughs> Poor there you go. There you go. Okay. So. Time travel. What do you think? Where would you want to go back to? What time or era of pop culture would you want to relive? Thanks for listening. You can go and to I, our website. Yeah, go to our website, poppingcollarspodcast.com. Is that right? Oh, yeah. You, yeah, can, vote. Some, yeah. you can vote for uh, our Going on 30 Awards, and you can buy some merch. Which are called yes. the Golden Poppers. Yeah, man. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now it's in a tricky place on the website. I discovered you have to go to the upper right hand corner and click something, and then there it is. Like merchandise, mm-hmm. our popping playlists, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the Golden Poppers Award. Maybe mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you have to give us your email address and your social security number. Also, so. there you go. Stop it. Yes, and we'll be uh, we'll be contacting you soon. Anyway, so that's an episode of Popping Collars that uh, we hope you've enjoyed. I want to thank my co hosts, Liz Easton, Greg Knight, and Betsy Carmody, all 
I am, and I am so pleased and grateful to live in the same time era as you all do. <laughs> oh, well, me too, same. Ricardo. How's that? Same. Right. Well, that's another wrap, another episode. Uh, happy time traveling. And remember, wherever you go, whenever you go, keep those collars popped. Pop, 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 pop. See, what was throwing you off on the outro was the fact that you didn't have the Episcopal Cafe to... You can't mention them! They it's over. Warm. I know, over. I know, but Especially it throws off the, this, it throws off the whole rhythm of the outro. Episcopal hot goss and medical updates, they yes. could have been doing all kinds of business. Yes.